Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. We're going to continue our series on the book of Romans this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 5, so if you want to uh, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 5. And as you turn there, we'll just briefly discuss what we talked about last week. We uh, talked about, you know, we've talked about being justified, right? As God says, you know, just as you never sinned. And declaring us righteous, which is saying you are now in right standing before God. You are now righteous. And how that is through faith alone. That we can't earn it. We can't, we don't deserve it. There's no amount of obedience to the law, to the Ten Commandments that you and I could do. Uh, you know, uh, that could make us worthy uh, to, uh, to receive God's mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. And so... Uh, uh, it's by faith. And last week, we looked into the benefits of believers. When you and I are justified, when you and I are declared righteous by God, uh, God gives us certain benefits, right? And uh, he, he says we're now at peace with God. He says we now have access directly to God by faith. He says we can hope in the glory of God. Remember that hope? Right? It's not like our word hope. It is guaranteed to happen. It's not wishful thinking, right? And then he goes into saying that your pain and your suffering and the trials that you face, the tribulations that you face, they need something. When we're in the world and they're facing pain and tribulations and that pressure upon them, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, it'll destroy you and you have no hope. But you and I, if we have, our, uh, if we've been justified, if we've been declared righteous by God's grace and His mercy, we don't have to worry about our tribulations not meaning anything. Amen. Right? Because those tribulations are going to produce something. Uh, Paul tells us it's first going to produce perseverance and it's going to produce hope. And that uh, hope is, or sorry, that perseverance is going to produce character. And then that character produces hope. Knowing that the pain, the suffering, the things that you and I face in this world have a purpose when we are, belong to Christ. And so now we're going to get into some deep theological concepts starting here in verse 12. And I am going to do the best I can with God's help uh, to, to talk about these and try to illuminate, uh, you know, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate for you and ask God to guide me that I would say exactly what he wants me to say because there are some big theological uh, uh, answers here uh, and things that we've got to discuss here now starting with verse 12. Before we get in, and I, I begin with verse 12, uh, Paul is going to talk about how one man's death can provide salvation for many, okay? And he's going to talk about Adam and how one man's sin brought, brought death to many, right? So he's going to talk about how can Jesus Christ and his death atone for the sins of all these people of the world, anyone that would call upon him. 
so that they never have to sacrifice another cow, another or another bull, another ram, another goat, another sheep, ever again. But Jesus Christ, his death would be enough to atone for everyone's sins, to cover everyone's sins, anyone who accepted Christ. And he would bring life to many. And so the way he's going to do that is he's going to first talk about Adam and how Adam's sin brought death to many. It's hard for you and I to, it's going to be hard for you, and many times it's hard for you and I to understand this because we live in a very individualistic society. Right? It's, it, we're very, we want to be our individual, right? It's me, myself, and I. Right? Uh, we, and many times we don't take into consideration how our actions affect others, even though every action we attend does affect others, but we either don't recognize it or we don't care. We're so self-centered, right? And we're all guilty of that at times in our lives, right? But we're only thinking about us. We live in a very individualistic society. What makes me happy, what pleases me, and hey, it's only hurting me. Right? I'm only hurting myself. I'm not hurting anybody else. But the truth is, is that we don't live in a uh, strictly individualistic society. Society is a great big organism that God put together. Men were, and women were meant to have relationships. Mankind was meant to have relationships, right? And your family, uh, take, take for example our families. You know, uh, if I, as the head of my family, make a destructive decision... That trickles down and affects my wife and my children. It can even affect my children's children, right? If I, if I make a destructive decision. And so it trickles down, right? They, they didn't do anything wrong. My kids didn't do anything wrong. My grandchildren didn't do anything wrong. But because of my destructive decision, I can impact their lives and the lives of their children and their children, right? If any of you have ever had an alcoholic or abusive father, right? Uh, 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 or, or substance abuse, uh, a father or grandfather, right? It impacts you, right? Even if it's an uncle, you know, my mom, Bob, please, I hope I'm not sharing too much. My mom had a, an uncle who was an alcoholic who died in a terrible way. And so she is forever impacted by that, where alcohol is off the table no matter what. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, because she's seen what happens when you get drunk and you act irresponsibly. Does that make sense? So my uncle's actions impacted even her niece. Right? So we've got to stop looking at society as this individualistic society. But we are all together in relationship with one another, and our choices impact those around us, even people we may not know. You run a red light, what happens? Someone hits you, it's not just them that's impacted, it's the person that gets hit that's impacted. Right? I can tell you from experience, someone comes into your lane and you swerve to miss them, they may, you know, not only are they impacted, but the person... Uh, who uh, who had to swerve to miss could be impacted. Mm -hmm. Right? We don't even know each other and we can impact those around us. So I hope I'm laying that foundation of what's to come. Alright? Mm -hmm. We must believe uh, two principles as it relates uh, to this. The first one is, is that. That we are all connected. 
The second is this, is that Adam was a real historical person. That Adam was a person who was walked in flesh and blood. We have to believe that he is a real historical person. He's not a metaphor. He's not symbolism. Uh, he was a real person, just like Jesus was a real person, is a real person. Okay? So those are the two principles that we have to hold on to, right? Because it's going to explain why we are affected by Adam's decision to sin. Each one of us ultimately repeats Adam's rebellion in our own acts. We talked about that earlier in our study in Romans, right? Uh, even though uh, Adam's sin and his sin nature is passed down, right, for all intents and purposes, when you are born from a spiritual perspective, you're born dead. Amen. Spiritually, we are born dead. If you don't like the word dead, no, dead is the best word to describe it. <laughs> Uh, I, spiritually, we are separated from God. We have no connection to God. None of that, right? We are born into sin. Okay? Uh, but with that known, we still repeat Adam's rebellion in our own acts. Amen. We still are guilty of sinning before God, right? And our connectedness as a race is also what allows Christ's death to affect us. Right? So the reason that one man can offer salvation to many is for the same reason that one man's sin impacted the many. Man was the first, or Adam was the firstborn, right? God created him in our, here on the earth. Adam was made ruler of everything, given stewardship, right? He was that first person. But Christ is the one that Jesus Christ, or God sent, God's only Son, begotten of the Father, to come who died. Both of them can impact mankind greatly because of their position over mankind. Adam was the patriarch, right? Jesus Christ is the Son of God who breathed life into man. Does that make sense? All right, so... You're going to hear me sometimes talk about the first Adam and the second Adam. Because that's how Paul is going to talk about them here in chapters 5 and 6. The first Adam is Adam, the person that you know in the Garden of Eden who ate of the fruit and sin. The second Adam is Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is it's, ta it's talking about how their one act changed the world. Okay? Now, hopefully I, I laid the groundwork. All right, let's look at verse 12. Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. All right? Now, this isn't a particular sin. We know that Adam's sin was what? Adam disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me give you a... We were actually talking about this earlier this week. When Eve ate of the tree, nothing happened. It is when Adam took of the fruit and ate of the tree that their eyes were opened to their nakedness Amen. and all God's judgment now was going to be placed on mankind. Amen. Paul even says, I believe it's a Corinthians, please forgive me, my mind is, it just went a little crazy, but Paul says that Eve was deceived. But Adam full well took of the fruit and ate. All right? 
And what he's saying here is, is what, what he's saying here is that God, Adam was the one who God created first, breathed life into, and said, Adam, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the tree of life. Don't eat this one. When, Adam, when, when God uh, created Eve from the rib bone of Adam, it was Adam's responsibility to tell Eve not to eat of that tree. Now, what did Satan do? Satan in chapter 3 of Genesis, in chapter 2 of Genesis, tells Eve, she says, Eve, uh, you may have not heard correctly. Right? And he, he then tempts Eve with, with three basic sins, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the uh, lust of the eyes. She looked at the fruit and said, hey, that sure looks tasty. Right? Then she said, I'd sure like to eat a piece that's lush. And then she thought, well, this will better me. This will give me something I don't have right now. Mm -hmm. All the things that you and I face every day. Mm -hmm. But she, Satan deceived her into believing that she had heard God wrong. Well, Adam didn't say he heard God wrong because he heard it directly from the source. Mm -hmm. So Adam was responsible for Eve. And when Adam ate of the fruit, sin entered the world. That's why Eve's name is not mentioned. Not because she's not important but because it is because of Adam, the very first human being who God made the steward of the garden and all of the world sin. All right? And so therefore, therefore, sin entered the world, that act of rebelliousness, and sin in its easiest uh, definition is missing the mark. You got a dartboard, you ever play darts? Anytime you miss the bullseye, guess what? You're missing the mark. No matter how close you come to the bullseye, if you miss the bullseye, you're missing the mark. Right? The, what you're trying to do for, uh, in darts is hit the bullseye. Right? Archery, you want the bullseye. You miss the bullseye, you miss the mark. No matter how close you come to the bullseye, if you miss it, you miss it. That's sin. Okay? And so sin is rebelliousness towards God. Right? And remember we established... And uh, Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3, that what? All have sin. Right? All are under sin. Not just that, but that God has placed upon man's heart a conscience to know right from wrong. Amen. Okay? So, therefore, justice through one man centered, entered the world. So not one specific uh, act is here. This is sin in general, rebelliousness towards God. And so Adam passed to all of his descendants. That's me and you, the inherent sinful nature he got because of his disobedience. Amen. The minute that Adam sinned, Adam now was spiritually separated from God. Amen. He no longer connected to God spiritually. Before this time, the Bible says that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. They walked together and talked together. They communed in a way that you and I can't possibly even understand. Right? Can you imagine sitting on, with God on the front porch, sitting next to you, chatting about the sunrise? Mm. Talking about how beautiful the trees are? Not a care in the world because the garden provides everything you need as long as you don't eat this one tree. Mm. Right? And, and, and you and I can't understand, but for Adam, he was used to that. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden. How long did they got to enjoy that relationship with God before they sinned? But in an instant, it was taken away. And he was now separated from God 
spiritually and was spiritually dead. And the Bible actually says, tells us that the reason that God put Adam and Eve out of the garden was he did not want them to eat of the tree and live forever in their dead state. They were spiritually separated from God. And in the book of Genesis, God says, we got to put them out of the garden lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. God loved them so much that he did not want them to live in that corrupted, separated, spiritual state forever. Think about this. Look at the damage man does in his sinful, corrupted nature without living for eternity. Right? Right? Can you imagine if man lived for eternity, how awful the world would be? Look at Noah. For Noah, Noah is a perfect example. They lived for hundreds of years. Right? A, a, a few hundred years, a couple hundred years. And look at the damage and how sinful they became by the time of Noah. When they built the Tower of Babel, they had a battle. They had under two years to build that tower. Right? I mean, they were evil. They just got more evil, more evil, more evil, and more evil. And God did not want men to live forever in that state. So he had a plan. Kick them out of the garden, send Jesus Christ to die upon the cross, and heal them spiritually. They can now be made spiritually alive and connected to God. It's called the rebirth. Right. That's what it means to be born again. Dead to life. You're, you're born into life. Okay, sorry, tangent, but it's important. All right, so there are consequences. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. We're talking about spiritual death, but we're also talking about physical death, right? Because the, the Bible also says the world is, the earth itself is crying out to be redeemed. It wasn't just man who was impacted by Adam's fall. It was creation. If you recall, God said to Adam, now you're going to have to till the ground. Before, he didn't have to till the ground. He didn't have to worry about plowing or picking weeds or anything or growing anything. He just went and got what he wanted to eat. But the earth was cursed too, along with the fall of Adam, so that now the world even hungers, earns, or yearns to be set free. So everything is corrupted. That's why we got cancer. And the flu and the COVID, right? Created or not created. We, right, we got all of these things because the world fell. Right. Yep. So death is uh, now just, uh, has three distinct manifestations. Spiritual death is separation from God. Ephesians 2, 1. And you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Then there's physical death. Hebrews 9.27, and as it, uh, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Physical death. And then finally, there's eternal death, which in the Bible is also called the second death. All right, which includes not only eternal separation from God, but eternal torment and the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 13 through 15. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, 
and they were judged, each one according to their works, and then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast to the lake of fire. Remember we talked about last week, your name's registered in heaven? Remember that? Well, uh, if your name ain't registered in heaven, then you got a free pass to hell. Right? We all got a ticket to hell uh, when we're born into this world and eternal damnation, that second death. But when you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior and by His grace and His mercy, He calls us and forgives us and has mercy upon us, now all of a sudden we trade in that ticket, we can rip that one up. That one-way ticket is gone. We now have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. All right? And that second death is, is that when... Uh, God judges everyone, right? When he judges those who do not know him as Lord and Savior, he's going to call them out of the tor torment they're in now, judge them, and then cast them back into the eternal lake of fire. Okay? So now we already know that they're being tormented because of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told. Right? The, uh, the, the, the rich man died. He went to, uh, to, to hell. The, uh, Abraham and Lazarus, uh, that when Lazarus died, they were in what was called Abraham's bosom or paradise. And the rich man was being tormented in that hell. But when judgment comes, they will be called out. And this is called the second death. They will be eternally cast in the lake of fire to never be removed again. There will not be one moment of peace, a respite. Verses 13 to 14. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. I probably should stop there for a second. What that means is, is that without the law, right, you can't label your actions specifically sin. Right? So the law says, do not steal. There was no account, right? So basically, but when, when before the law, you were only you were violating your conscience. When the law came, now there was this written record that you violated. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So basically, even though we'd be held by our conscience, okay, like we talked about, we're held accountable by our conscience. This is talking about after the law came, we're also held accountable by the law, okay. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. This is the time before the law. Okay? Between Adam and Moses was before the law. Okay? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, and even over those who have not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. Alright? So what does that mean? Those who had no specific revelation like Adam did, or those who didn't have the Mosaic law, nevertheless, sinned against God in his holiness. And we already talked about that. That rebelliousness towards God. Before the law, it was rebelliousness towards the law of God, the, the conscience in our hearts. After the law of God, it was rebelliousness to the, to the written word of God. To the law that God provided. So just like Paul said earlier in Romans, right? that the conscience will convict us. So apart from the law or with the law, if we're rebellious before God, we're held accountable. Does that make sense? That's what Paul is trying to say. Romans 2.12 For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. 
All right, and then finally, he says there, who was a type of him who was to come. As we said in the introduction, Adam and Christ were similar in their acts because they affected many others. All right, now, let's look here, starting with verse 15. We're going to look at the blessings that the act of Jesus Christ brought. So Adam brought all these awful things. But Jesus Christ brings all of these great things. All right? So if you and I know Christ as Lord and Savior, we get to experience all of these great things. Okay? One, the difference uh, between Adam and, and, and Jesus is that they were different in their effectiveness. They were different in their extent. They were different in their efficacy, sorry. They were different in their essence, and they were different in their energy. So let's look, verse 15. They were different in their effectiveness. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more uh, the grace of God and the uh, gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So he first says, but the free gift is not like the offense. You and I get much more through Christ than the punishment we got through Adam. Why? Because we don't deserve God's grace and mercy. Amen. We deserve God's judgment. Yeah. Adam sinned. It passed down to us. You and I sinned. Rebellious before God. The wage of sin is death. Right? Every one of us has sinned regardless of Adam. And so therefore... We are guilty before God, and we deserve judgment. But God is greater, but God, because his grace is greater than our sin. And his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy is greater than the sin of Adam. Amen. Okay? For, it, for if by one man's offense many died, the descendants of Adam, the human race, much more the grace of God and the gift of uh, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Christ's one act of redemption was immeasurably greater than Adam's one act of condemnation. Because we deserve judgment. We don't deserve grace. And Jesus died. Think about this. Adam was selfish in his decision. Jesus was unselfish perfect and holy and did not deserve what happened to him. Amen. Amen. Okay? Now, they're different in their extent. Romans chapter 5 verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, so the gift that comes with Christ is not the same as the one that came through Adam. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. What does this mean? No matter how bad you sin, and the world has sinned, which is incalculable, no matter how many times we've been rebellious before God, no matter how many times we've messed up, no matter how many times we've sinned, right, and been rebellious, we still can be justified by simply calling upon Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. So you, no matter what your past was, no matter what your present is, no matter how bad you and I have been, no matter how rebellious we've been before God, one call upon his name, as Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10 says, confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that he is risen from the dead, you are saved, you are justified, it's just like you never sinned, all those sins are gone. It's greater. 
For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Again, Adam's sin brought universal death, exactly the opposite uh, that Satan promised. Satan promised that if they, he, they did this, their eyes would be opened, they'd become like God, if you remember. Uh, verse 5 of Genesis chapter 3, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Alright? So, Adam sinned, wanting to make himself better. That was a lie. He actually doomed himself, his wife, his children, the entire human race. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in the light through the one, Jesus Christ. But unlike Adam's act, Christ's act has and will accomplish exactly what it was intended to do, which is to give spiritual life, to restore spiritual life, so you and I can be born again. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Christ's sacrifice brought salvation to those who believe. So even though Adam's act did not do what it was promised to do because Satan lied, and he willingly gave it up and thought he was going to become like God, Christ acted exactly what was promised. Different in essence. Romans 5.18, Therefore, as through one, man, uh, one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So again, if even so, one man's righteous act, not a reference to a single event, but is talking about Christ's obedience, which then culminated to him giving his life on the cross. Uh, Philippians 2.8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. It was critical that Jesus Christ never said. He had to be sinless. Even in the Old Testament law, uh, when you brought a lamb to atone for the sins, it had to be spotless. It couldn't be crippled. It couldn't have a black spot on it. It had to be perfectly white with no imperfections. You could not bring an unhealthy lamb. Right? Uh, because it had to be perfect. Jesus Christ had to be perfect for his substitutionary death to do what it was supposed to do. He had to be spotless and sinless. And that meant being obedient to God from the time that he was placed on earth even unto death. The free gift came to all men resulting in justification of life doesn't mean that everyone will be saved, but that salvation is available to all. So not everyone's going to be saved, but it is a free gift available to everyone. But to be effective, God's gracious gift must be received. Romans 5, 19, we're almost done. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's disobedience many will be made righteous. Paul sums it up, right? Everything he said, starting with verse 12. One man's act of disobedience, many were made sinners. Through one man's obedience, 
many will be made righteous. Sums it up. And it's different in its energy. Romans chapter 5, 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So moreover, the law entered the offense might uh, so that the offense might abound. Alright? So the Mosaic law is not a flaw, but its presence just demonstrates how depraved man is, as we talked about earlier, right? Galatians 3, 24 and 25 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the law was a tutor. Why do you have a tutor for? To teach you that subject. Right? A teacher teaches math. A teacher teaches English. A teacher teaches whatever. Right? Science. That is to teach you something you did not know before. Right? The law is our tutor. The law teaches us, right, how sinful we are. It is that open book as we talked about before. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word there uh, that even, uh, let's see, let's see. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That phrase there literally is super abounded. It's used nowhere else in the New Testament except for in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. And what it means is, is it's the pardoning mercy of the gospel greatly triumphed over sin. It's super abounded. So no matter what hold the sin has on someone's life, no matter how caught someone seems to be, no matter how lost they seem to be, God's grace is more, God's grace is greater, God's grace super abounds. Right? And so even though uh, sin is multiplied all over the earth, uh, and man, if you think about all the men on the earth who have ever existed, who have been rebellious before God, which is everyone except Jesus Christ since the beginning of time, all of that sin, grace trumps, triumphs over that sin. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it super abounds. It's greater than you and I could possibly imagine. That means that God's grace will never run dry. He will never, never quit showing mercy to those who call upon him. He isn't up there saying, all right, I've run out of grace. I've run out of mercy. I ain't got enough for you. He has enough grace and enough mercy to give and extend to everyone who believes. That means the murderer, the predator, the thief, the glutton, all of the sin, everything, his grace is greater. Doesn't mean there aren't consequences. You, you commit murder, there are consequences to that, right, in our judicial system. But it does mean that God can still forgive you. Right? Now, it's hard for you not to understand that because I'm not a murderer. But God's grace superabounds that even the most heinous act, God will forgive 
if someone will call upon him as Lord and Savior, right, from the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, and, and there are going to be a lot of bad people in heaven and a lot of good people in hell. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people who we thought should have never made it. They're like the thief on the cross who God still forgave, even though they had to face the consequences of their bad decisions. They called upon Christ and God forgave them. Mm -hmm. They're going to be in heaven. And there's going to be a lot of people who came to church and sat on the pews and talked about how close to God they were mm. that are going to wind up in hell. Mm -hmm. And go, God, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus said there are going to be those who stand before him and say, hey man, I cast out demons in your name. I fed the hungry. I clothed the naked. I did all of these things. And Jesus would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because they never had a personal relationship with Christ. It's not what we do, it's in faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Amen. Jameson Fawcett, Brown Bible Commentary says this, The comparison here is between the multiplication of one offense into countless transgressions, and such an overflow of grace as more than meets the appalling case. Let us stand. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.